Good morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, please. <clears throat> there was uh, an excerpt from someone's journal. It was a man named Clark Beach, who on September 6th, 1941, wrote this. A Japanese attack on Hawaii is regarded as the most unlikely thing in the world, with one chance in a million of being successful. Besides having more powerful defenses than any other post under the American flag, it is also protected by distance. And yet, everyone knows what happened four months later. Um, in foundational truths here in Genesis, I just, it's convicting, it's, um, it's also joyful to go through it, and just again looking at the human condition of who we are. We are a people that love to build up false security that love to build up we can conquer life, that love to build up glory for ourselves, that would be a people that would say, hey, we can be successful this life, and we don't need God's help to do it. That's basically Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel is one of those Sunday school stories that we have read over and over, and there's um, so many things um, that we could learn. And Again, I'd like to encourage us that instead of going, man, I can't believe those people acted like that, to really turn it in towards ourselves and go, oh my, do I look like that? In Genesis chapter 11, we'll read, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language. This is what they begin. <clears throat> this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much um, for your word. And, and again, Lord, uh, thank you that you've decided to show who you are. Um, so much of it through your eternal word is just the stories of people and your dealings with them. Thank you so much for the way you have written your word. Thank you for another time where we might open it up. We pray that your spirit would do a mighty work, that we might be encouraged and built up and edified. And that we would be joyous. And Lord, that we would be like-minded in you. That you would give us vision. You would give us singleness of mind here at Brantford Bible Chapel. That we might <clears throat> together see what you would have us to do. That we might simply serve the head of this church. And so we thank you uh, for being gracious and merciful. Above all, receive honor and glory. In your name, amen. In verse 1. As the whole earth had one language and one speech. The last chapter we just read about was him uh, dividing up the nations into different languages, different nations, things like that. 
Okay? There is a difference between language and speech. One way is simply your language, your verbal words. Another way is basically how to communicate. So they are all like-minded. There is no miscommunication going on whatsoever. And it came to pass, it says number two, as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Now, it doesn't seem that bad. Settle in a plain. That's pretty nice. Except for in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, the Lord said, fill the earth. Okay, so they originally were supposed to, after Noah got off that ark and uh, people were being born and human population is growing, that they are to spread out and fill the earth. And they're traveling from the east and they come to a land in Shinar and they say, wait a minute, let's build a city. Now this would make logical sense, unless God told them to go out throughout all the earth. You see the plains again, remember, even in farming, I remember teaching this. The reason America is so amazing is the great plains in the middle of our country that we are, we have the Rockies and we have the Appalachians right in the middle of our country is just miles upon miles of plains that was relatively easy to farm. Back in this day, farming is not just a hobby. You need to eat. And for you to find a plain where now being able to grow crops and being able to um, <clears throat> just farm and bring about produce so you might survive, you typically don't want to leave that spot. You found a good spot to just kind of hang out and dwell, except for the fact that God said, fell out the earth. And so the reason I say that is, again, sometimes the only way it makes sense to obey is because God said so. It's so easy to read the scripture and go, well, of course they should have done that. I'm going to tell you, if I'm right after the days of Noah, and I don't know how their technology was and things like that, but I find a plan where I don't have to dig up a lot of rocks, and I can grow some food that I like to eat, and then I'm thinking, does God really want us to go out into the unknown, where there might be danger, where we might not be able to plant, we might not be able to grow these things? Did God really say that, to quote someone else in Genesis? Okay. Here's the one thing I want to encourage with as we think about our own obedience to the Lord. The interesting thing is we now, a couple thousand years later, understand a little bit of all that's actually out there in the world. We have almost filled up this planet. Okay? And so the reason I say that is they're in one little section here on the globe. They find a plane and they think this is pretty good imagine what they miss out on by staying there. You can think of anywhere in the world you think would be amazing to live and great to start a family. They're going to stay in a very, very, very minute part of the planet. And God was telling them, go out, go out. And remember, God's original intent was that everyone worked together under his leadership. And you could have these great resources from all parts of the globe coming together. But in their minds, let's just stay right here. And I have to tell you that that's how my obedience is sometimes. I'll obey the Lord when it looks comfortable and my life isn't shooken up that much. But for me to go outside my comfort zone, to me to live a life where I have to trust him and not be able to see what's in the future and trust that. If it's his will, no matter what's in that future, it's got to be better for me than what I enjoy right now. It's very hard to do. And this is exactly where they are. 
But then, simple disobedience of not keeping the go, now, now they're getting into real problems. Okay, so they build a city, they build a tower, and they say these infamous words, let us make a name for ourselves. Why a city? Why build a city? Now, again, you might read the text and go, what are you talking about? Why wouldn't we just build a city? Well, you can build houses and neighborhoods and things like that. Why a city? A city speaks of security. We can get great defense by building huge walls of a city. And in fact, if you're ever down and you don't have enough water, you don't have enough food, there's enough people here, we can support ourselves in the city. Again, I'm not saying that anyone that lives in a city is wrong or that we shouldn't have cities nowadays, but it is a very interesting study to look at our cities. Look what happens when great cities like New York lose power for 24 hours. We actually have cities, I believe, on the West Coast that we are bringing in the water. That if anything ever happens to that water, you have thousands, maybe not millions of people with no available water. Cities are usually uh, a man-made into uh, you know geographical location where man does not need to be dependent on God. We are sufficient in our own in this city. We have our own protection. We bring in our own water. We bring in our own food. We bring in our own power. We do not need to rely on God. That is a picture of a city, and they feel secure in it. Remember? Right now, during this time, hey, let's bring about some security. Let's build a city so that we're protected and we can have all this stuff right there. Do you think we as humans ever struggle with trying to make our lives so secure that we forget God? That we have to have all our ducks in a row. Why? So that we are absolutely secure. This is more than just financial. Yes, there's that whole piece. Make sure I have enough money in the bank so I feel secure. But even in your relationships, even in your family, your hobbies, what just make me feel secure. Remember, God said, spread out. You can rely on me. Well, that's hard to do. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Because as we said before, this is not just a problem from way back then. This idea of building false security in your life continues to go on. Happened all the time with the Jewish people. And sadly, I think it happens in the church today a lot. In Romans chapter 2... <clears throat> Again, Romans is so deep. There's, there's so much here. I'm going to try to take a portion. We'll start in verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach Another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You can make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. 
For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if any uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Whew, that's a lot. Weren't we talking about security? Okay. To the Jewish person, they felt okay. They felt secure in three things. One, they were part of the nation of Israel. Two, they possessed the law of God. Three, they had this outward thing called circumcision. And they rode that to the bank. Here's what John MacArthur says about this passage, which he'd say so much more better than me. Now, in these verses, we face the fact that the Jew had three great privileges, which gave him a false sense of security. One was that he was a part of the nation of Israel. Two, that he possessed the law of God. And three, that he was circumcised. So based on the nation and the law, the sign of circumcision, the Jew, having these great privileges, felt himself greatly secured by them and believed that because he was a Jew, because he possessed the law, because he had the symbol or the sign of the covenant in circumcision, he was therefore free from any fear about judgment. And so what Paul does, beginning in verse 17, is take each one of these three things and systematically destroys them all, all as securities. He strikes a killing blow at the supposed security of the Jew. And in doing so, he strikes a killing blow at the supposed security of so many called Christians and so many called religious people today in the church. So let's make it about us. How do you know if you're doing it right? Are we really still having the mind game of, well, I'm from a Christian family, so I'm okay. Well, I go to church. Well, I even tithe. I mean, that's, that pretty much sets me okay before the Lord. Don't judge me and say I have something else to work on. I've pretty much mastered it. <laughs> Humans from the day one have always tried to build up reasons to make themselves feel like they're doing okay, that judgment can't come, that they're secure. And it's just challenging there at the end of Romans where God's view is always inwardly and not outwardly. And again, if you were a Jew in that day and you heard to hear someone say, the person who's not circumcised but inwardly is okay with the Lord is actually doing better than you, it rocked their world. And yet, in today's church, we might not cling to circumcision, but we cling to other do's and don'ts that we feel give us a sense of security even though our hearts might be far from the Lord. And so it's a very simple question when we speak of these things is where do you get your security from? Knowing the Lord, knowing His Word and what He says about you should be what we're doing. And this goes back into our basic faith. Do we live lives that we might not know what 
is coming in the future. We might not even feel, quote, secure, but we have a solid trust in our Savior. And go, it doesn't matter what's coming. I trust Him. He is the foundation of my life. I have built my house on the rock. I cannot be moved. I don't need cities. I don't need man's agenda. I don't need anything. In fact, to the rest of the world, I might look like there's nothing going right with my life. But I am on the foundation of who Christ says I am and who he says he is. And that's where I put all of my trust. When they live in a city, they are no longer worried about rain coming for the crops or, you know, security. What if the wild beast comes? They have built up themselves a place where they say we're self-sufficient. We don't have to rely on God. And in this great day and age we live in, (laughs) if you don't think we have a lot where we don't have to think about, do I get what I need from God? No, we just get our paychecks and go to Instacart. We better be a people that are careful that we give God credit for sustaining us and that we rely on him. That at any moment, any of this can change. and We might not have a lot anymore. And that he's still available and he's always been and should always be the number one of our lives where we get our all of our needs met. Wyatt Tower, not only are they building this city, now they want to make a tower whose top is to the heavens. This simply speaks of pride. Right in front of the Lord, they're going to say, listen, you who dwell up in the heavens, we can get there. We can get there. We can build a tower. We have our own. Do you see the kind of brick we do now? Do you see the asphalt? Do you see the geniusness of mankind. We'll be able to build a tower all the way up to where you are. It's not a big deal. (laughs) That's where they're coming from. Pride is, again, one of those things that we have read and studied in um, our whole Christian walks. Probably we talk about pride, you know, from a sermon at least once a month. I wanted to give you Um, When I was reading and and studying, um, one person put it like this. There's six types of pride. I thought it was pretty interesting. Self-exaltation, pride giving yourself credit. That's exactly what these guys are doing. Listen, we're good enough to build the tower. Self-promotion, pride welcoming credit from others. Oh, you guys did that so good. You know how to build that tower? Oh, let's listen to so-and-so. Self-justification. Pride expects credit from God himself. God, we built this tower. We made it all the way up to you. Um, Now you should hang out with us. Then there's three other prides that are interesting. Self-dedigration. Pride that tears yourself down. Self-demotion. Pride that compares yourself to others. Self-condemnation, pride that judges yourself. What do these last three mean? What am I talking about? The last three have to do with the idea that you know better than God. Okay? So this is some of that 
balance that we're talking about where you sit there and say, hey, I am definitely no good. I can't serve in the church. That's actually an attitude of pride. Because people have asked you to serve. God has asked you to serve. God has told you you have gifts. And you in your own pride go, I'm not good enough. You can't tell me that. You tear yourself down. Self-demotion. Pride compares himself to others. No, no, no. no. I'm, I, I can't do that because so-and-so is definitely better at that. Okay, we need to make um, pies here this Friday. Everyone knows I'm not that good of a cook. Okay, and so-and-so makes the best pies, so I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. That's actually called pride. <laughs> okay, you've been asked. Okay, and now you know better than everyone else what you can and cannot do. Self-condemnation. I am no good. And this is where it gets really tricky that we've talked about before. And I am not worthy of God's grace, nor forgiveness, nor restoration. You aren't the judge. He is. And if he wants to give you grace and mercy, it's your pride that you reject it. Pride is a nasty thing. And here, they are a people that actually think they can make it to heaven on their own works. Interesting. And they can build a tower so high that they can go talk to God who just destroyed the planet a couple years, hundred years, I don't know. Interesting. How would you practically try to apply this even this week? You know, one of the hardest things about pride is in our relationships, letting someone else actually get their way. There is always disagreements on how to do something between a husband and a wife, between parents and their kids, between friends, between us together as an assembly. And I know there's roles, right? Like we don't sit there and go, okay, kids, let me give in to you too. But at the same time, if you want to practically try, there is a balance here where maybe this week we could just humble ourselves a little more and go, you know what? Let me try it your way. Let me try to do things your way. Again, this is a blanket statement. There's more specifics we can get involved in. It won't always work in every situation. But there's also just our relationships with each other that we are so stubborn that we have to do it our way. And we might be hurting relationships. So maybe we should just humble ourselves and put others first like the Bible says to, and obey, and maybe say, hey, let's try things your way. They've made a city. They've made a tower, showing their pride, showing their false security. Why in the world do they want to make a name for themselves? Now, what's interesting is this. If we remember the passage, they are already all one language. So in other words, right now, when we say I want to make a name for myself, I want to make a name for myself in this industry. I want to be the best in the industry. I want to make a name for myself on this team. I want to be the captain. I want to be the one who gets the ball. Okay. I want to make a name for myself in politics so that I can, you know, kind of go up that political ladder and have influence. All those things make sense because we're so divided nowadays. But in this moment, they are one language in one speech. Why are they trying to make a name for themselves? For who? It's actually right against the Lord himself. 
We want to make a name for ourselves because there's us and there's you. And I got to tell you, we're here. So we're going to make a name for ourselves. And in fact, we want the glory, not you, God. This is one of the worst things humans do. Right here, I got to make a name for myself. I have to step outside from underneath God himself and say, I'm right here. Not only do I want to be self-sufficient, not only do I want to be independent, I also want glory coming my way. You better respect me and give me honor and give me something that says I'm doing great. That's what making a name for themselves is. And that's why it's interesting that the Lord says, let me come down. And try to mess this up. No problem. I mean, the Lord, it doesn't even say in Scripture. In some ways, it's interesting. It's almost like the Lord wants us to know, I'm just going to come down and that's it. You're done. Scattered. It's like the great battles in Revelation. Like these big wars. He just speaks and they're done. It's just not really a battle. It's not a conversation. These guys are trying to make a name for themselves. And God comes down and goes, now you're scattered. That's how quick it was. And yet, we would be a people that love to bring glory to ourselves all the time. Proverbs says this, It is not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. Another translation in the same verse in Proverbs 25, 27, To eat much honey is not good, nor is seeking one's honor honorable. It's not glorious to get your own glory. It's not honorable when you got to go out there and try to say, hey, can you honor me now? That's not honorable. <laughs> you got to wait for someone to do that without you asking for it. These guys are so wrapped up into make giving glory to themselves. So practically, how did this work? Again, give God the credit. You got good things in your life. Give God credit for that. That's from the Lord. You got good relationships? Give God credit that. You know you would mess up your own relationships all day, every day. You got some material possessions? Give God credit for that. The whole idea is that God wants to be involved and say, hey, I'm in charge. Let's work together. I gave you this earth. But no, mankind right away goes, let me get out from under God. Let me try to... God, who is he? Let me build a tower. Let me build a city, bring in my own defenses, and then I want my own glory. And if we think this is an old human problem that we somehow have got over, you don't know why we're in Genesis right now. <laughs> we're studying this book because this is us, people. This is us. All day, every day. I just want to make sure I get my own credit. I want to make sure I get my own credit. And someone better notice when I do something good. There is one who notices. The Lord Jesus. But is that, that's not good enough for you. The fact that he notices should change our lives. But it's just not good enough. We need someone else to know. Remember when it comes here. When the, the Lord says indeed the people are one. And they all have one language. This is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. My goodness, again, just a verse I just like to think about over and over and over. Like, like what is the depth of what he's saying? To be like-minded, single-mindedness, 
humans can just do so much. But it's always under what are you like-minded in? Are we told what to be like-minded in in the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe it says at least four times in the New Testament. So here's our big final practical application of this chapter. <clears throat> okay. Again, a lot of depth, but we're running out of time. In Philippians 2, uh, verse 4 and 5, it says this. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. We at Brantford Bible Chapel should be like-minded. I'm praying for it. We should all pray for it. Come together. We should be as one mind. This is what we do here. This is what we want to do here. This is maybe where the Lord is leading us, etc., etc. But we have to be like-minded in the Lord. So I'll tell you just the simples right off the bat. Braver Bible Chapel, we go by the book. If you have ideas and strategies of what you want to do that you cannot find in Scripture or go against Scripture, we're not going to be like-minded. So that's just an accountability thing. you got to have it through the Word. okay? But we can be like-minded, as the book says, in simple things like this. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what being like-minded in Christ is. Why? Because the next verse in Philippians says, have the mind of Christ who did not consider equality to be uh, with God's son to be grasped, but became a bondservant and went to the cross. Okay, you want to be like-minded in God? That's a suffering servant life. Let me be like Jesus. Suffering servant life. That's the life he led. Okay? So if you want to be like-minded in that, that's what we're signing up for. Okay. In 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 10, it says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing, because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. Wow! Repay evil with a blessing. you imagine if that catches fire here at Branford? Imagine that. I offend you, you're going to repay me with a blessing. You upset me, I'm going to repay you with a blessing. Why? Because we're like-minded and that we think we're all that. We're so good at this humility thing. We're so good at blessing each other thing. No, because actually we serve a God who we are constantly, constantly, quote, acting evil against, and he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So to look Christ-like is actually to do this. To just take the hit, take the evil, and go, let me pay you back with a blessing. Because that's what's happened in my life. That's what's happened in mine. Romans 15, verses 5 through 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, again, it sounds so simple. There's such a depth to it. We're like-minded in this one purpose. We want to give God as much glory as we can. That's what we want to do at Branford Bible Chapel. That's why we go by the book. And I got to tell you, how is God glorified? The way we treat each other. So God can look down and go, those are my people. Look at the way they love each other. 
They make mistakes, and then they bless each other. They got each other's back. They're always asking each other, how are you doing spiritually? They're praying together. They're glorifying me. If we could be like-minded in that, we would change the world. We would. Opposite of the Tower of Babel. And again, I'd like to remind and close with this, that the Lord is restoring all of that. That's what the day of Pentecost is with the languages. That's what in the end times happens. The Lord restores all of this. Even though we messed it up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that uh, you are so um, strong and uh, you're just perfect and holy and yet so humble um, in the way you, you're so merciful to us. And Lord, it is, uh, it is hard to be like you. We should all desire to be just like you, and yet uh, it is so tough to not worry about ourselves and to put away our pride and to put away our securities and simply trust you. Thank you so much for the way you did and continue in some ways, I guess, just to trust your Father. That you were just going to do his will and not worry about anything of your own while here on earth even to death on the cross. What an amazing testimony you have. Lord Jesus, help us to be like you. In your name, amen.